Colossians chapter 3. Now, as I have um, kind of remarked going through here, there are ten big subjects in the Bible. Ten big subjects. One of them is righteousness. What is right? Sin. What is wrong? The heart. Money. It's a big subject in the Bible. The mind and what we think about and battle with in it. Uh, spiritual warfare and worship. Government and authority, discipleship. These are all big subjects, but there's one of those top ten subjects is the home and with training our children. I know the modern day we talk about communication problems and generation gaps, but those aren't found in the Bible. Honoring our parents is found in, in the Bible. Uh, growing up is found in the Bible. And uh, one of the most fragile units in society is the home. As, uh, as, as fast as people get married, people are breaking up. Under, uh, relationships are under constant attack. Um, and the home is seriously crumbling. If, if you think just because you have children that you've got a family, that doesn't mean that you have a family, you just have people. But a home is something much more, much more than just the composite of people in a home, in a, in a, in a house. Now, so far in chapter three, we've learned about, uh, what is a Christian wife and what is a Christian husband and how they're to treat each other. And I would imagine that most people find it very hard to obey what the Bible says, even in Colossians chapter 3, where it talks about wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, be not bitter against them. That sounds so simple, and yet most people don't know how to do it, and they don't even try. So we come through chapter 3, and we now look at that part of the home that is about children, and we need help. Even if you, your children are all grown up, I'm going to talk about that tonight. So let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, in these brief verses, God, and that's what's amazing about some of the truths in the Bible. Sometimes they're just statements, and they're meant to be pondered so that we can obey them to their fullness. You don't have to do a lot of explaining. You just have to tell us what we need to do, and we ought to do it. So please teach us something tonight and help the families and those who are about to have families. Lord, some great things about having a home right in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so child training. Now look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And verse 21 goes along with it. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Now those are the two verses we're going to focus on tonight. But Paul talks about Children, and especially their fathers. Did you notice how long those verses are? They're not extensive. They're not complicated. Children, obey. Fathers, don't provoke. That's it. And yet, children don't obey, and most fathers get upset, and they just make everybody angry in the house. Now, I want to show you see some amazing things here in just these two verses. Number one, God speaks to children first. Did you notice that? Then he speaks to the fathers. And that basically is backwards to, to the world. The world focuses on the fathers and just lets the children just be as they are. As a matter of fact, during the 1960s, there was this guy named Dr. Spock. He wasn't on Star Trek. He was a real guy. Dr. Benjamin Spock taught that children need to be left to themselves, left alone. They need to just find their way. They need not to be damaged by parents telling them what to do. So we raised generations of demon-possessed people. 
So here we come, and the Bible just says, to the children, obey. We normally want God to correct our authorities. We normally have somebody that's telling us what to do that we want God to get. And to God, God fix that person. God change that person when God says no. When you're in submission to authority, you're in the right place. When you're arguing with your authority, you're in the devil's place. So God works with the person who's under authority. God speaks to the bottom. Go back to verse 18. I want you to see something before God ever speaks to the husbands in verse 19. Who does he speak to in verse 18? To the wife. You ever find that a problem? You know, uh, uh, Paul speaks directly to the husbands, but he first deals with the wife. Now, the Bible is written to all ages. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Holding your place here in Colossians. Well, you probably will we'll come back to it in a little bit. 2 Timothy, to the right, chapter 3 and verse 15. Second <clears throat> Timothy 3.15. All right, 3.15, and from a child. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor, and he says, you know, when you were a child, you knew the what? You learned the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the Bible is actually written not to parents. Parents, make your children obey. Now, that would that would be one way of saying it. But instead, God says, no, I'm going to talk to the children. Children, obey your parents. So God expects parents to be in charge of their their uh, children's training, but what is the best thing to teach your children so that parents can develop their character? The Bible. I'm going to talk about obedience in a second. But children need to learn the Bible. Why do why do most children? What do most people? What do most children hear when their parent gives them a command? The child says, "Why do I have to do that?" What does the parent say? Because I said so. Amen. But it's much more valuable to the child to know because God said so. All right. So the Bible's written to all ages. God expects parents to be in charge of their child's character training. Will, will the music videos on TV teach your child character? Oh, they'll make them a character, <laughs> but it won't teach them integrity, character, how to live, how to treat, especially in this day and age, how to treat women and how to treat girls. So God expects parents, and so here in the Bible, back there in Colossians, God teaches us how to work on a child's character. Now, what does God expect of children? Very simple, two thoughts. Number one, obey your parents. That's what he expects of children. Did you know obedience comes before understanding? Obedience comes first before understanding. Isn't that true with the Bible? I didn't have to have all my questions answered for me to get saved. You know what? I had enough information for me to go, I agree, I'm lost, I need to be saved. Amen? And the Bible, I'll take you to go to Romans. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And sometimes we get all flustered, Weston, don't we, when we're talking to people about the gospel, and they got a zillion questions, and we feel flustered trying to answer them all, don't we? But look at what your Bible says in Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verse 1. 
And I'm looking for... Verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. When was that? When you were lost. But ye have, here's our word, obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Does it mean that you understood the form of doctrine? No. But what you did understand convicted you and you said, yep, you win. I I obey the gospel, the gospel. The gospel is you must repent and believe the gospel. So, so obedience is what most people lack. Any kind of desire to want to obey, they want, well, you've got to explain it to me better. Then I could have probably ever get saved. Now, he does the second thing. I'll have you go back to Colossians. I want you to see a little phrase here in Colossians, which jumps out. <clears throat> what kind of children is Paul writing to in Colossae? Are they lost children? These are Christian children. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto who? Okay, all right. Go to Ephesians now. Go to left and go back to Ephesians. I want to show you how Paul writes to the Ephesians. And he says almost the very same thing. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Next three words. In the Lord, for this is right. And he goes on, on to thy father and thy mother. Just stop there for a second. Back there, I want you to understand, we're supposed to do it as believers. If a child, Paul writes to a child, if you are saved, now we're not talking about a a three-month-old, a three-year-old, we're talking about a child who is in the Lord. And if you're in the Lord, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, I don't care if you're six years old, you're a new creature. And as a new creature, it is expected that you obey your, your parents. Amen? So, obey your parents and do it in the Lord as believing the Lord. Now, why? <laughs> the most, the most common word of a child from the age of three or four is why. If you have a real home. Now, if you have a home where the kid gets away with everything, you're never going to hear the why. Because they determine what happens in your home. But if you have any limits, if you have any instructions, if you have any constraint on your children, the question will always come out, why? So why obey your parents? Well, let me just say, parents are not perfect. We should say amen to that. Yet God says to obey them. God even says to honor them. What does the word honor mean? Pay tribute to, okay. Honor, what does honor mean? Make them look good. Respect, all right, we're getting close, but you're not there yet, Weston. Lift up, all right. Put them ahead of you. That's what it means to honor, to put them ahead of you and say, you know what, I want to do this, but you're my dad, you're my mom, and what you say, I will do. That's what it means to honor your parents. Now, so why honor your parents? The first reason is because God said so. Exodus chapter 20, back to the left, find Exodus. Why obey your parents? Because God said so. Now, we're going back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Part of the Ten Commandments is Exodus 20 verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, 
that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now there again, like I said, honor implies obey because you're putting them ahead of your own. Go to Leviticus 19, next book, Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 and verse 3. Now we're going to get down the road a little bit. It says, ye shall love every man his mother. Is that what it says? No. Now you ought to love your parents. But ye shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. Why? Because I said so. That's what he means when he says, because I am the Lord. I don't mean fear they're going to kill you, although I thought my dad and my mom would. When I cross them, Deuteronomy chapter 21, to the right, Deuteronomy 21, 18. 21 verse 18. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 21, 18. If a man have a rebellious son, which will not, what's the word? Deuteronomy 21, 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that, when they have chastened him, they've corrected him, they've done their best to try to get him to do right, he still will not hearken unto them. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him unto the elders of his city, the judges, and unto the gate of his place where he lives. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious and will not obey our voice. He's a glutton, look at where it leads, and a drunkard. Now, this is not just a kid that won't go to bed at 10 o'clock when you put him to bed. This is a kid who is a glutton. He lives for his belly, and he's a drunkard. And the men of this city shall what? I'm glad we're not under the Old Testament or we'd all be dead. But God made it very serious that parents are to get their children to obey, and children need to obey because if you tarry rebellion down to its uh, end, God says, I will judge. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he dies. So shalt thou put evil away from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. One child being corrected publicly like that would stop a whole lot of other kids from ever messing around with their parents. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. We're not just making suggestions. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains of beauty around thy neck. So you better hear and don't neglect to obey the law of your parents. Proverbs 13, Proverbs 13 and verse 1. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son heareth his father's instruction. Actually welcomes instruction. What kind of instruction? Look at the last part of the verse. But a scorner heareth not what? All right, there are plenty of times when I worked for the telephone company and I didn't work fixing telephones or stringing lines. I worked in the, in the computer sections in what we call the switches. So when, when you made a phone call, the old dial way, or with the touch tone, uh, uh, way the old phones worked, there were computers that weren't part of the internet that actually knew when you were dialing, it could connect your landline all the way to someplace somewhere else in Timbuktu. And when I'm working on that, 
and I'm, I'm uh, uh, trying to fix something or trying to re- try to correct a, a misdirection or whatever, if I did it wrong, my boss, my, uh, the, uh, um, my manager or whatever, would come in and I'd be having troubles. You know what he would do? He would instruct me how to do it right. Now, it's a gentle rebuke. Craig, that's not the right way to do it. This is the right way to do it. And the Bible says a scorner will not hear somebody correcting you. So here, he says a wise son will listen to correction. But a scorner, a mocker, will never hear somebody ever correct them. It's always about other people. They'll always blame someone else. Chapter 30 and verse 11. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11. There is a generation that curseth their their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. What are we talking about? People that have a father who's trying to correct them and they turn around and they curse them back. That'd be a scary home to live in, wouldn't it be? Hmm. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. You see, that's all Old Testament, Pastor. Okay, Matthew 15 and verse 4. And this is Jesus. I love this. If you've got a red letter edition, it's all in red. These are the words of Jesus. He's not all lovey-dovey, sweet, ooey-gooey. Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and, he quotes from Leviticus, he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. Those are the words of Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 2. You're in Matthew. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And verse 51. 2.51. This is Jesus after he has stayed back while his family went home. Back up to Nazareth, he stayed back in Jerusalem. They come to him. His mother gives out to him. He sort of says, but I'm busy doing my father's business. Verse 51, it says this. He, Jesus, went down with them and came back to Nazareth and was, what's the next words? Can you imagine the Son of God being subject to frail, imperfect human parents? He was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. She was pretty impressed. So, you uh, children, obey your parents because God said so, not just because they say so. Secondly, why obey your parents? Because it is right. That's the opposite. I mean, that's, let's hear the opposite. It is clearly wrong to disobey your parents. Yeah, but they're wrong. Okay, you better be very careful because if they are wrong, you need to appeal to them, but you do not disobey them. You need to explain, oh, oh, wait, wait, uh, that, that, you know, will get me fired if you ask me to do that, mom, or whatever. So, Acts chapter 5, there is a way out so that you don't do things sinful that your parents ask you to do. But if your parents ask you to do something that is not forbidden in the Bible, guess what you gotta do? You gotta do it. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 5 and verse 27. <clears throat> Acts 5, 27. When they had brought them, Peter, James, and John, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Hey, did not we straight thee? What's the word? 
command. Now, this is the Sanhedrin. These people have authority. They are the city government. They have the authority to tell people what to do. And he says, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name, in Jesus' name? Behold, you've disobeyed. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. What are they saying? You crossed the line. You asked me to do what God said I, I can't do. So, there, there, it is right to obey until someone asks you to do something that is wrong. Does that make sense? It is right to obey even when you don't want to, even when it's not pleasant, even when it crosses your feelings or your tastes. It's just right to obey. Isn't that something that's sort of lacking today? Do people obey or do they just go with the flow? If they feel like doing something, they do it. I talked to, I'm sitting there, I, I know you guys are the choir. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. People will. We were coming in, Darren and I, uh, uh, coming up through here and it's 1025. And there's about 20 people here. And I looked at him. Remember what I said? I said, it's just hard to get people to get here on time. And we just walked in here. We smiled and we started up and people filled up and praise God. But let me just tell you, you know, if you, if your parents had taught you to obey when you were young and taught expectations of you instead of you doing what, what comes easy or you doing what you want to do, you would be somewhere early. Amen. Now I'm not preaching at you. Maybe. But I am telling you, there are some things you do because it's right. Why should we be here on Wednesday night? Because it's right. Why, why read my Bible every day of my life? Because it's right. Why hand out a gospel tract at every chance? Because it is right. That's lacking. So why do we obey? Because it is right. Thirdly, it pleases your Savior. I like how he says there in Colossians chapter 3, back there real quick. Colossians 3 and verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. You know how to bless God, make him happy? Do what your parents say. Imagine a child coming up to a pastor and saying, Pastor, I believe God wants me to be a pastor someday. Pastor, I believe God wants me to be a missionary someday. Well, I may be excited, but you know what? If you're living in disobedience to your parents, there's nothing to rejoice about. If you're... Uh, uh, you know, a, a rebel at home, and yet you want to serve God out in public, then you're not pleasing to God. Honoring your parents, obeying them is well-pleasing to the Lord. Do you know in the Old Testament, the um, the sacrifices, when they brought a lamb, or they brought two turtle doves, or they brought uh, uh, grain, they called it meal, um, and, and they brought it, and they put it in the fire, and that fire burnt it up, it, it, the, it, the Bible calls it a sweet-smelling sacrifice. Um, Exodus 29 says, And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor. It just smells wonderful. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Leviticus 8.21 says, And he washed the inwards 
and the legs and water and Moses burnt the whole ram upon the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet savor and an offering made by fire in the Lord and uh, all as the Lord commanded Moses. Meaning that God enjoyed the aroma of that sacrifice. And when a person sacrifices their feelings and their wants and their schedule to do what somebody else tells them to do, especially their authority, God says, that smells good. To you, it's a sacrifice. To you, it hurts. To you, it may cost you something. But to God, it is so pleasing to Him. Lastly, it's because it prepares children to obey all authorities. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. <clears throat> Romans 13, in verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the what? All right, why does he use the term higher powers? Do you have rights, yes or no? Of course you do. But there are higher powers over you, and the Bible says, let every soul be subject, we'd say obedient, unto the higher powers, for there is no power above you but of who? You say, you don't know my dad. You don't know my wife. You don't, uh, my, my husband. You don't know my kids. You don't know, I, none of that matters. Whatever authority there is in your life, it shouldn't be your wife. It shouldn't be your kids, by the way. Whatever authority over your life, you're going to have to say, I guess, God, you want me here for a while. Whatever authority there is over your life are ordained by God. Verse 2, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, their right to run your life, they're resisting the ordinance of who? Of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. You'll receive judgment against you. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power that they have? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, when you teach a child to obey at home, you're preparing them so that they obey their, their teachers, so they obey their neighbors. Can you imagine living next to, and many of you do, living next to a neighbor who has a child who just trashes your front garden or walks right into your garden and and takes stuff or rides their bike across and you say, don't do that. And they go right ahead. No obedience taught at home and the neighbors are like, never going to obey me. But if you teach them to obey at home, they'll obey their neighbors. They'll obey the Garda. They'll obey their pastor or their their Sunday school teacher. Go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Again, written to Christians. Now, we all want this Bible to say this. We want it to say, love them that have the rule over you, as if they can have the rule, and all I have to do is love them. No. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves Speaking of pastors, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Go back to verse 7. Still in Hebrews 13, remember them, remember them mentally, remember who they are, remember them in prayer, which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So obey 
even, why do most people take a pastor with no interest? Why do most people think that the Bible, that preaching, that what goes on in church is nothing? It's because at home they've not been taught to obey someone who's in authority. Now, I'm not the, the authority like a pope, but the Bible does put somebody with a Bible in their hand in authority. And if it comes time where the pastor has to tell what is right or what is wrong, we're to obey. We don't, we don't do that because we grew up when we were allowed to choose, well, I'll pick and choose whether I obey or not. And the Bible doesn't give you that freedom. Unless, if, listen, I was telling somebody this last, last week or the week before. If, if, if your pastor, me, uh, said to you to do something that was not forbidden in the Bible. Okay, I want all women to wear their hair in a bun. I'd lose half of my church. You know what? You're not going to tell my wife what to do. She won't let you. But you see, if I made that a rule, I'm not. But if I made that a rule, would you do it? You say, well, I'm going to find a scripture that says I don't have to wear my hair. If you can't find a scripture that says you don't have to do that, then guess what you have to do? Put it up in a bun for the two hours you're at church. You see, we won't obey. It's a very poor example. I want you to understand, I'm not, there are different Branches of Christianity, some of them have a head covering in there. In the, you go into a church, you have to wear a hat or a head covering. You know what? I have very little problem with that. The Bible says your hair is given to you for a covering. But some churches say a woman has to wear a covering. You know what? I tell my wife, wear a covering. Because that's that pastor's rule. Amen. And there's nothing in the Bible that says women do not have to wear a head covering. It doesn't say that. Anybody with me or are you still all angry at me? Especially the men, because they know their wife will be angry. Most of us don't obey. Amen. We don't. We weren't taught to obey, and we we don't think we're expected to obey. Romans 14. Go back to Romans 14 now. Romans 14 and verse 7, is that right? No, it's verse 12. Romans 14, 12. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to who? Do you know what? If you don't learn to obey your earthly authorities, you're going to face your heavenly authority, and you're going to have to give a reason why. And if you're a reason for disobeying your husband or disobeying your pastor or disobeying the Bible or disobeying your boss or disobeying any higher power over you, your reason better be rock solid. Amen? All right. So, Paul speaks nextly, go to Colossians, speaks nextly directly to the fathers. So he first talks to the children, and now let's talk about the fathers there. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And then he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. What does the Bible say? Fathers are in charge of homes. You know what? I got... uh, He did not say, Ye mothers... (laughs) He said, what? Fathers. Mom, let your husband lead. You say, well, he's, he's good for nothing. 
you married him. And God will honor you letting him lead and you guide him and you help him. But better than you taking charge, most families fall apart because the mom panics and takes over the wheel. And dad just sits back and lets it fall apart. And that's what's happening. So many generations have been lost to feminist theologies that kept their children from being forced to obey their dad. Amen. Amen. What are mom and dad supposed to do? Number one, get your children to obey. You know, the first job of a parent is to get their child to obey. That means it takes training, it takes love, it takes a plan. Uh, It's more important to teach your child to obey than it is for you to love them, even though that's very important, than it is for you to listen to them, even though that's very important. It is more important that when dad says, go to bed, that they go, yes, sir. Amen. I thought I was preaching to Bible believers. It is more important that when mom says, you stay here and play. I'm going to go fix a cup of tea. I'm going to go in there and chat with Mrs. So-and-so from neighborhood and uh, from down the road. You stay in here and be busy and just have fun. Don't go outside the door. I don't want to see you for the next hour. And that kid goes, okay, mommy. It is more important that that child hears and obeys than it is for mom to constantly be carrying all the kids around and constantly doing everything for them and wearing herself out and hating being a mother. You know why she hates being a mother? Because she's never taught her child to obey. God says, teach your children to obey first. Secondly, teach them to honor and expect them, sorry, to honor and obey you. Proverbs, we read in Exodus 20, says, uh, honor thy father and thy mother. Now, to honor, you talk about uh, to respect. Honor is deep respect. If there's anybody your kids should respect, it ought to be you. By the way, it ought to be the dad first. In the 1950s, everything in people's homes centered around the dad. That's been throughout history. Until the late 1950s. In the 1960s and 70s, everything switched and changed and focused on mom. In the 1980s and 90s, everything then centered around to the children. Oh, I just take my children everywhere they want to go. I'm the taxi. Oh, my children are so important. And dad hadn't been talked to or ministered to or loved or or, or ministered or, uh, to in any way for weeks because it's the children. And since 2000, it's just individuals in the home. They're not even a family unit anymore. There is no ethos in a home that used to be centered around dad and then it moved to the mom and then it moved to the kids. If the kids are happy, we're all happy. We need to get back to honoring dad. Because the Bible says, honor thy, what's the first word? Father. And feminists hate that order. Honor thy father and thy mother. It's not that there's, there's the, the neglect of the second one, but we have, we are afraid of masculinity today. And you, you need to expect your children to honor you and never talk back to you. Third, correct your children when they don't honor you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. 
Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he what? He correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he hates, right? You hate me. You never let me do anything. No, he loves you. So the Bible works with the dead and says, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delighteth. So don't be afraid to correct your children. They need you to do it. Just do it right. Most people have been abused with correction. Most people have only been yelled at all their life. Most people have only been abused physically, emotionally, been corrected. They've never been corrected firmly, but lovingly. And so today, no one takes correction at all. Correct your children. It is right for you to say that was wrong, whether you hurt their feelings or not. Third, don't explain everything. This is fundamental. I see everybody doing this, and I don't mean to step on toes. Well, I actually do. But I see grown adults explaining to three-year-olds why they need to get in the car. What? Johnny, you got to get in the car. Listen, we can't go eat until you get in the car. No, I know you want to go play with so-and-so, but I need you. Listen, Johnny, you need to get in the car and get in your seat. Let me pick you up. No, no, I'm not going to. No, when you calm down. What? Now, that is wrong. They don't need you to explain one thing to them. They need you to say, Johnny, you're in the car. <laughs> End of story. We are terrified of of everybody, what they'd see if they saw me picking on my kid and making them obey. Amen. Your first job is to what as a parent? To discipline or to, to get them to obey. You're not being brutal. You're not being mean. It's time to get in the car. But to sit there and explain to them, that three-year-old's going, ice cream, blue sky, I got to go potty. That's all they're thinking. And you're trying to explain to them why they need to get in the car. Are you listening, Weston? You got this thing, don't you? Did you know God doesn't explain everything when he gives us a command? God didn't explain to the children of Israel, when you touch a dead body, you are not to be around anybody else for a whole 24 hours. And you're to wash your hands. God didn't say, because they're little bitty microbes that might be transferred from the dead to the living and might cause sickness. He didn't explain it, did he? He just said, don't come in contact with any. If you ever come in contact with a dead thing, don't come in contact with another person for 24 hours. Why did he say that? It doesn't matter. That was That's what kept the Jews healthy during the bubonic plague, the black plague, through several serious wipeout diseases that came through Europe because the Jews washed their hands constantly. All right. So don't explain everything, even to teenagers. You're not hanging with that boy. Why? <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about him. <laughs> He's male. That's the problem, baby. <laughs> Do not explain everything. Fourthly, don't go too far when you correct them. That's called provoking, pushing too far. Did you know you can correct somebody without yelling? Ephesians 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Correct them without hurting the other person's self-worth. When you're raising your voice and you're yelling at them, you're not getting your point across better. You know what you're doing? You're beating them down with your words. 
You know, most dads, you know what they did? They sit on the couch and they would belch out, what is this? Somebody coming through, running through the house, stop yelling or stop running or whatever. And all they're doing is they're adding to hell on earth. You can correct without yelling. You can correct in obvious love. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. And pay attention to how your children feel after you have corrected them. You know, if a child clams up after you've corrected them, it's probably because you were way too rough on them. If a child runs away from you when you're trying to correct them, it's because you're strangling them. If a child loses heart and gives up even trying to obey, it'll be because you're too worried about their performance. And they just realize they never can live up to your expectations. So they quit. So the Bible says, be very careful how you correct. Well, I'm the, I'm the dad. Yeah, well, you're going to hurt them. So isn't that nice how the Bible balanced that thing? Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't hurt them when you're correcting them. I like these last two points. All right, correct without yelling. Correct them in obvious love. Pay attention to how they feel after you correct them. You know, you ought to be able to hug one another after you've corrected them. Humble yourself when you're wrong. Wouldn't that be transforming? Be able to say, yeah, I think, I think, I think I did, I treated you wrong. I think I misunderstood you. I thought you were doing such and I was wrong. I'm sorry, Junior. And lastly, I think the most important thing is to hug your, to hold on to your children a lot. Hug them a lot. Touch your children. Uh, a grown up girl needs her dad to hold her. Because if you don't teach her how a man is to hold her, the next guy is going to teach her. Hold your children a lot. Now, what if it seems too late? Well, my kids are all grown up, or I think I've blown it. Well, you know what you can do? You can apologize to your children. You don't have to constantly apologize. Some people are like constantly like, I'm so sorry I failed you. Well, maybe. But you can express to them that you know you missed some things that they needed. You can confess to God that you failed. That's a good place to start. You can then believe God more than your failures. You ever think that that's a good reason why we're, we're Christian? Because we have hope. Even though I may have failed something, I can believe God can make up for my failure. Amen? The best of parents blew it. Did you know that? Did you ever hear of a couple called Adam and Eve? They blew it. They had a cane, didn't they? How about Samuel? Samuel, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, had two boys who were wicked. You know what, David? You look at all his children, almost without exception, they were a mess. Great parents blow it. How about the prodigal son's father? That son walked away from him, didn't even want to come home, didn't wanted to hit, his half of the inheritance was walking away, never coming home. Wow. The best parents have blown it. But you know what else, too? The worst of parents have all still succeeded. There was an evil, wicked king named Ahaz, and somehow Hezekiah grew up in his wicked home and did right anyway. You know what? Your mess-up does not define your children. God does. And their rebellion or their yieldedness, and don't you believe your failures are the end? God is the end. You know, children do grow up and they do bounce back. Fight for your family by doing the right things. Don't give in to your feelings and your hurts. Just do the right thing. 
and leave the results to God. That's what you do when you look and you go, oh, I think I failed. Well, join the crowd. Let's pray. Over and over and over by in the Bible, God, you referred to the nation of Israel as the children of Israel. And I think that's kind of on purpose to try to teach us about how you deal with children so that we know how to deal with children. So that we keep our hearts like children who learn that we need to just trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, what's the responsibility of a child growing up, learning the Bible? It's to obey our parents. What's the responsibility of the parents? To teach our children to obey and to do it right. Do it carefully. Do it lovingly. Sometimes do it over and over and over again. Lord, you you had Paul write to a faraway church out in the middle of Turkey. Paul was way far away, but he was burdened that children obeyed their parents because he knew that that generation of Christians that did not learn to obey would never follow you, would never serve you, would never know the blessings, even though they may be saved. So, Lord, here we are down the line. I pray that we would know the blessings of trusting and obeying as well. Save our families, please, from more loss. Turn things around where we have failed. Forgive us where we have thought that we did enough. Help us to realize only you are enough. For our kids and our grandchildren to the third and fourth generation, Lord, I pray for help in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.